Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program when you visit walkintruth.com. Hey, we pray your last-minute gift shopping isn't stressing you out so much that you miss the true spirit of Christmas. So join us for the next half hour to hear part two of Pastor Michael's Advent message in the book of Micah, chapter five, called Hope Foreshadowed. The amazing thing about the Bible is that some of the most incredible prophecies, the most illuminating, light-filled prophecies are set in the backdrop or against the backdrop of dark days. Both Isaiah and Micah do this. They, they give a lot of bad news. They warn of impending judgment and discipline of God. But then they talk about a coming deliverer. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the rebellion, there's hope on the horizon. And this hope was written about 700 years before Jesus was born. Just to give you an idea, we're in the year 2019. Imagine someone gave a detailed prophecy in the 1300s that we could track, let's say, 30 specific prophecies that someone spoke in the 1300s that came to fulfillment today in exact detail. Would that get your attention? It would mine. And this is what the Bible does. The Bible separates itself from other so-called holy books in many respects, but one is predictive prophecy. Predictive prophecy normally has to do with the coming of the Messiah, but it also can do with the nation of Israel, the church. Um, but namely here, we talk about the coming of the Messiah. And, and there are scores of prophecies. Somebody's chronicled at least 48 messianic prophecies that you can take to the bank. And if you've ever seen the math on how one person could fulfill these all, it's really an impossibility uh, 700 years before he was born, for example, it would say, it says in uh, Isaiah, which we'll study in, in a future message, he'll be born of a virgin. It talks about how he will rule. And in the case of Micah, it gives his actual birthplace of Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, Jesus could not control his birthplace. And the only reason that Joseph and Mary ended up in Bethlehem was because of a census and taxation. God even used the, uh, the king's desire for control and, and power and money to move Jesus' family to the prophesied birthplace. And we're going to look at that prophecy. That's the number two prophecy we'll look at in terms of the book of Micah. Predictive prophecy shows us that the Bible is divine rather than human in origin. I want to read the section of Micah 5, 1 through 5, so you can get a flavor for it. And then we'll look at two specific verses for this morning. It says, Micah 5, 1, Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, most of us know this prophecy, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go, for, go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. In the first part of verse 5, this one will be our shalom this one will be our peace. 
Now, I'm going to come back to Micah 5.2 in a second, but I want to show you another prophecy that you may not have seen before that's very intriguing, and it's found in Micah 4.8. Notice it starts the same way that Micah 5.2 did. It says, as for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, Micah 4.8, to you it will come, even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, if you've ever studied this before, scholars call this in Hebrew, Migdal Eder. It's the tower of the flock, a tower watching over a flock of sheep. I have a, a few photos for you to get a flavor for this. So this is an example of an agricultural tower that was probably used for two purposes. It was used, one, on the edge of town, maybe up on a hill, to see invading armies coming in. You always try to take the high ground. And you would warn, like on the watchtower, you would warn your people if you saw any threats looming on the horizon. Scholars say because this is called the Tower of the Flock and because of what we know from some history and writings outside the Bible, this kind of structure was also used by shepherds. And what the shepherds would do is they would be able to watch their sheep from the tower that was elevated and look for predators like wolves coming towards the flock. They would just be able to see the condition of their flocks and herds, if you will, from an elevated spot. Some things that I've read related to this say that the shepherds would take, if we go to the next slide, they would take one of their little lambs and they would inspect them in the lower chamber. This is a uh, kind of a modern model of what we're talking about. They would bring like a little lamb that had been born and they would bring it into the lower level of this tower of the flock or watchtower and they would examine it. And there were a special group of priests that lived outside of Jerusalem in the area of Bethlehem. I'll show you this in a moment. In ancient days, uh, supported by some other scriptures, Bethlehem was uh, and is five miles south of Jerusalem. So it's a neighboring town. And they, they argue that there were special shepherds that were related to the Levitical line and they were shepherds for the temple. Their sole job was to raise up lambs that were without spot or without blemish that could be sacrificed in the temple. And so what they would do is when a little lamb was born, they would take it down in the lower chamber. This is what some argue. They would inspect it to see if it had spot or blemish. And to make sure it didn't injure itself, they would wrap it in swaddling cloths or wrap it, some people argue, in priestly uh, uh, garments because they would be left over from the temple. They'd be discarded. So they would wrap these little lambs, almost like you'd wrap a little baby so they didn't cut its face with its nails, that kind of thing. And they would put them down here. And they also say that down in these watchtowers, it's possible that you had mangers sunken into the ground, something that would look like this, but maybe at ground level and then kind of, you know, earth down into the ground where animals would feed. And so this is an interesting uh, thought, especially in light of the fact that a few verses later, there's a famous Christmas prophecy. And scholars argue, is Micah 4.8 also a prophecy with more, maybe more specificity than we'd ever seen before? Does this give the possible location where Jesus was born? Now think with me for a second. When Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem, the Bible tells us that there was no room in the inn, right? Now, there are people who argue that Jesus was born uh, in December. That's certainly possible. There's an argument to be made for that. 
There are others who argue that Jesus was probably born on a feast day. Some of you have seen some teaching that argues that he was born on the fall feast of tabernacles. Now remember that all able-bodied Jewish males had to come to Jerusalem from foreign lands three times a year. They came for the Passover in the spring, Pentecost in the early summer, and tabernacles in the fall around our September, October. And so when Mary and Joseph come to the area of Bethlehem, just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, where all these pilgrims would come for a feast, there was no room in the inn. Now, uh, I think you'll, you'll find if you do a little study on this, there's really no evidence that there was a commercial inn back in Bethlehem in Jesus's day. Those kinds of things were pretty rare and probably didn't exist in Bethlehem. There was no Motel 6 Bethlehem. We'll keep the light on for you. That, that wasn't happening, right? So what people would do is that these cultures were known for hospitality. And it was expected that if you lived somewhere within the city or within the outskirts of the city, you would be hospitable, especially to family and cousins and things like that. But even to uh, strangers who would call upon you for hospitality, they might say, we have nowhere to stay. We're here for the feast. And you'd open your home to them as best you could. You'd fit as many people for the couple of days or the week of the feast. Well, when Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, if it is a feast time, that may be why there was no room in the inn. If you look at the Greek word for inn in your Bibles and all the major translations, it just basically means a lodging place. The New Living Translation says they had no place to lodge. And so inn might be inaccurate because there was... Did you hear that? That was a play on words. I didn't even plan that. Anyway, um, so... Because there were no commercial inns back in the day, it may be that Joseph and Mary just tried to find a house to stay. Now, in the traditional things that we hear, and it's certainly possible, they found a home. The, the, home, uh, the leader of the home couldn't find a spot for them, so they went to the, the barn or the cave where the animals were. But scholars who are intrigued by the tower prophecy, and again, not everybody agrees, but I'm throwing this out for you as just a, something to think about, they think that maybe what happened is that on the outskirts of town, Joseph and Mary found their way to this tower. Think about it. Where little spotless lambs were born, wrapped in swaddling cloths to be sacrificed in the temple. And they had to be examined without spot and without blemish. Wouldn't it be just like God to do something just like that? Now, you might say, well, Pastor Michael, what is the evidence for the location of a tower such as this? Do we have anything that can give us some insight to back this up? I want you to turn to Genesis 35. I'm going to show you a few parallel passages. Genesis 35. So this is the chapter where uh, God renames Jacob to Israel. And uh, he's journeying along Genesis 35. We're going to pick up the account in verse 16. It says, then they journeyed, Genesis 35, 16, from Bethel. And when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, that is uh, known as Bethlehem. It was Bethlehem, Ephratha. Bethlehem means house of bread. Ephratha means fruitful, and that has great significance to Jesus. Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. Bible students, write down in your notes that Rachel was a shepherdess, uh, Genesis 29.9 says, says that she was a shepherdess. When she first met Jacob, Jacob was at a well 
and she came with her father's flock. And Jacob, when he realized who she was, he was excited. Remember, he cries and says, we're family. Well, she came with the flock that day. She was a shepherdess. And Rachel's name actually means ewe lamb or a female sheep. Hi, I'm Jerry. Uh, You're listening to Walk in Truth. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Hey, Shane Lance here, and I wanted to take a quick moment and encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer. This is a quick read from Scripture with a little bit of commentary, and it's a great way to keep you growing in your walk with the Lord. In our crazy society right now, with all the things we jam-pack into our schedule, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it's hard to find time to study God's Word. But it is so important as we grow in our relationship with the Lord to study His Word. It's such a vital aspect to our walk. You can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, that's Step Closer as one word to 33222. We really believe here at Walk in Truth that this can be a great instrument in helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So once again, we'd encourage you to subscribe to our devotional called A Step Closer, and you can text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Now, in the traditional things that we hear, and it's certainly possible, they found a home, the, the, home, uh, the leader of the home couldn't find a spot for them, so they went to the, the barn or the cave where the animals were. But scholars who are intrigued by the tower prophecy, and again, not everybody agrees, but I'm throwing this out for you as just a, something to think about. They think that maybe what happened is that on the outskirts of town, Joseph and Mary found their way to this tower. Think about it, where little spotless lambs were born, wrapped in swaddling cloths to be sacrificed in the temple. And they had to be examined without spot and without blemish. Wouldn't it be just like God to do something just like that? Now you might say, well, Pastor Michael, what is the evidence for the location of a tower such as this? Do we have anything that can give us some insight to back this up. I want you to turn to Genesis 35. I'm going to show you a few parallel passages. Genesis 35. So this is the chapter where uh, God renames Jacob to Israel. And uh, he's journeying along Genesis 35. We're going to pick up the account in verse 16. It says, Then they journeyed, Genesis 35, 16, from Bethel. And when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, that is, uh, known as Bethlehem. It was Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem means house of bread. Ephrathah means fruitful, and that has great significance to Jesus. Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. Bible students, write down in your notes that Rachel was a shepherdess. Uh, Genesis 29.9 say, says that she was a shepherdess. When she first met Jacob, Jacob was at a well, And she came with her father's flock. And Jacob, when he realized who she was, he was excited. Remember, he cries and says, we're family. Well, she came with the flock that day. She was a shepherdess. And Rachel's name actually means ewe lamb or a female sheep. 
So she came, and of course they fell in love, and you guys probably know the story of Jacob and Rachel. He served uh, Uncle Laban uh, seven years. It seemed like, you know, nothing to him because he loved her so much. Well, now she's in severe labor. She had had some trouble with bearing children, and the, the labor was very severe, 17, and the midwife said to her, do not fear, for now you have another son. And it came about as her soul was departing, for she died. She died in childbirth. Note this, Bible students, when you die, your soul departs. The question is, where is it going to go? And if you know the Lord, your soul is going to go to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So she died, that she named him. So as she's in her dying moment, she names the child, the son, Ben-Oni. Now, Ben is the name for son, and Oni means sorrow. So she names him, and it's appropriate, son of my sorrow. But his father, Jacob, called him Ben, what's the word? Uh, Benjamin, or Benjamin, and that is son of my right hand. So think of the prophecy with me. This is really interesting. Jesus in Isaiah 53.3 was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that's a prophecy 700 years before he's born. He was known as a man of sorrows, but he dies for the sin of the world and rises. And where is he seated right now? At the right hand of the Father. You could look at Hebrews 1.3, Hebrews 12.2. Isn't it interesting? This son would be son of my sorrows and son of my right hand. And that's what Jesus is. He's at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives to intercede for us. Jacob set up a pillar over her grave. Today in Bethlehem, there is a, a monument where they believe this location is, and it is the tomb. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. That was a true in Micah's day, and it's true in our day. And then Israel, his new name, journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond what? The Tower of Adair. That's Migdal Adair. That's that tower. And it's right near this area, verse 19, of Ephrath, or Bethlehem, probably on the outskirts of town. Somebody as prominent as Alfred Edersheim, who wrote the book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, wrote it from a Jewish perspective, uh, talks about how he believes that this tower is the place where shepherds would watch over their flocks. And he argues that these shepherds that get the angelic announcement in Luke 2 are probably these special shepherds. And that's why they know where to go to find Jesus. Now, they are told that the sign will be, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That wasn't unusual. Babies were typically wrapped that way. But you'll also find him lying in a manger. Now, there's nothing in Luke 2, and I won't take you there, but I think you guys know the story, that tells us that they gave directions to the shepherds or gave them a cell phone with GPS. But as uh, John the Beloved told me after first service, they had God positioning system, so that was good enough, and there was a star and everything. Uh, perhaps at that time, we'll, we don't know for sure, but anyway, the bottom line is they found their way. Could it be that these were temple shepherds who knew exactly where to go, and did they come upon this scene where the Lamb of God was born into the world wrapped in swaddling cloths in this location? of the tower. Very interesting, isn't it? Intriguing. Something to just think about. Remember when Jesus is coming to the Jordan to be baptized, John the Baptist says, look, there's the 
Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All throughout our Bibles, Jesus is identified as a lamb who dies in our place, who sheds his blood without spot or without blemish. Could that be the birthplace of Jesus? Perhaps. Some of you have been to Bethlehem and you've gone to the Church of the Nativity and you waited in line to get down to that little place and it's very ornate and there's a little hole and they think that's where Jesus was born and there's people in line pushing and shoving. Uh, so you're like, chill out, people. We're not, we don't know for sure, but... There is a, uh, a, another photo I wanted to show you. It's the Church of the Shepherds in Bethlehem. We went into this location our last trip, and uh, what was so cool about this, uh, it's, so we know we're in the right area, but you go into this church and the acoustics are phenomenal, and we met other Christians from all over the world, and we all just started singing uh, hymns, and the voices were rising up, and it was one of the most beautiful moments that we had on that trip was that worship that took place in that little church there in the area of Bethlehem. Could it be that Jesus was born in the tower uh, of the flock, Megdel Eder? I'll let you chew on that, but there are folks who believe that there's some good evidence, at least to strongly consider that Jesus was born there. And I said I was going to show you two prophecies. We'll have to move quickly. The, the second one is also in Micah, and it's in Micah 5, verse 2. And this is a prophecy that I think we've all heard before. But we'll go there and read it. It says, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. One scholar I read this week said uh, that Bethlehem was not even named or counted or divided up when Joshua divided the land. Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel his goings forth, some versions say, are from old or from long ago, from the days of eternity. Who is this one who would be born in Bethlehem and giving light in a very dark time for the nation of Israel, a very dark time when he uh, arrived on the scene? His origins are from uh, the days of eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory. The one who was born on that Bethlehem night is Emmanuel, God with us in the exact location 700 years before it ever happened that he was supposed to come into the world with signs and angelic singing and hope entering into our dark world. Imagine if it didn't happen. You're listening to Walk in Truth, and this was part two of Pastor Michael's Advent teaching in Micah chapter five called Hope Foreshadowed. Question for you. How are your reading habits? How often are you reading the Bible? And listening to Pastor Michael doesn't count. Okay, maybe it does a little. But we'd like to help your daily reading. So subscribe for free to get the Walk in Truth devotional today. Read a verse from the Bible followed by a thought for the day related to it. You can get the devotional by email or by text directly to your phone. Visit walkintruth.com or text step closer as one word to 33222. Again, text step closer as one word to 33222. Now, here's Pastor Michael. As we've looked at this Micah prophecy in Micah chapter 4 about this tower of the flock, it reminds us that shepherds were out in their fields by night and this angelic announcement came 
that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. These shepherds, as we explain in the Micah prophecy, may well have been shepherds who had responsibility for the lambs or sheep for temple sacrifice. And the picture is amazing. Jesus is the Lamb of God come into the world to take away our sins. I want to ask you this Christmas season just one question. Do you know the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how far he was willing to condescend, be born in in Bethlehem on that starry night, really in a nowhere place, and to go to the cross for you? Hey, if you've not met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this would be such a wonderful time to settle it and say, Lamb of God, come into my life. Thank you for your shed blood on that cross. Thank you for dying and rising for me. Pray it if it's you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my God. Be my King. You know, he wants all to come to repentance. And this, you know, if you've been listening to Christian radio, maybe you've kind of been on the fence. Maybe you're, you've followed a different path or religion for a time of your life, but you believe Christianity is the truth. Jesus is the way. This is a great time just to ask him into your life. He'll change you forever. His love is better than life, man. Hey, come to know him today. Ask him into your life. If we can help you in any way, reach out to us at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH if you need prayer or if you have any questions, 844-48-TRUTH during normal business hours. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. May God richly bless you. Tune in tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's special Christmas message he recently preached called Hope Foreshadowed. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.